Hello, Mr Barlow here, and welcome to the Philips Positive Podcast. This is a podcast put together to help the pupils, staff and parents delve into the world of mental health. Over the next few episodes, I will be interviewing different members of staff and pupils at Phillips High School and speaking about their mental health. With the crazy world we are living in at the moment, it is so important that we understand what mental health is. Every single person will go through some kind of mental health issue within their lifetime, which is totally normal, but it is how we deal with it that is important. I hope you enjoy the episode and thanks for listening. My name is Jamie Small, I'm 11 years old and around two and a half years ago my father took his own life. Chris has already missed so much and he's missed watching Jay become the young man that he's become. Chris's problems ended the day that he did what he did. The problems of myself and Jamie and his family only started that day. There's things that Chris should have been here to see and he should have been stood by Jamie's side when he achieved them. I, I just can't, I can't feel happiness when he's not there. It's like, in public, I won't like seeing families because I see them having so much fun and I'm like, I wish I could do that. If you're struggling, if anyone you know is struggling, then reach out a hand, point them in the right direction. It's, suicide doesn't just affect the person that does it, it affects their whole family, the wider community, and it's, there is help out there. And nothing, and I can't emphasize this enough, nothing is ever worth taking your own life over. My dad was ill. He didn't get help. Please don't do what he did. So hello everybody and thank you for tuning in to the Phillips Positive Podcast once again. Um, Today's episode I have somebody called Mandy Small that I actually got in touch with over Twitter. Um, the, the, The thing on Twitter that actually stood out was Mandy's tweet. Now this tweet that Mandy tweeted had over 19,000 likes. Um, and it was something that is really, really important, which is what caught my eye and actually responded to Mandy about that. Um, so, hi, Mandy. How are you doing? I'm not too bad, thank you. Thank uh, you for having no, me on. No, no, thank you for coming on. Obviously, um, the the listeners will understand why I've asked you to come on and why it's such an important thing that I, I think is talked about. Um, and that is about PTSD, about post-traumatic stress disorder which we will go into um, as, obviously, this interview continues. Um, I'm just going to read out your tweet, if you don't mind, um, and just so the listeners know exactly what were read on that day. So the tweet said, My husband took his, ho- his own life 
I'm not ashamed or embarrassed about that. I'm sad that he didn't get the help he so desperately needed. Mental health is nothing to be ashamed of. You can't catch it, but you can help someone by listening. Let's end the stigma. Mental health matters. So obviously you tweeted that and you've just mentioned your phone went absolutely bonkers. What was it like once you tweeted that? It was mad because, I mean, I, I tend to get a few likes anyway when I put something on because we have quite a lot of followers and I do a lot. I post a lot about our son because he does a lot of fundraising. Yeah. So I expect a few. And then I think actually Jay got more excited than me because he kept coming in saying, how many likes have you got? How many likes? Okay. And it was, I mean, I muted the conversation in the end because it was just constant and my phone was pinging all throughout the night. Yeah. It was, but I'm, I'm so glad it had the effect on people that it did. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we've previously talked on the podcast about the importance, the positives and the negatives that social media can have. Um, and I mean, obviously, that is only a positive. You tweeted out that tweet and 19,000 people have seen it, read it and tweeted it. Um, and obviously, it's something you're very passionate about, something that you think is important that people talk about and open up. And as you said, end that stigma. There is still really a stigma, isn't there, around mental health and we, we kind of all pretend sometimes to, to that we're okay and sometimes deep down that we're all, we're struggling aren't we and it, it's something I think we're all guilty of I mean the stigma alone probably stops so many people coming forward or asking for help yeah. because they feel they're going to be judged and I know to a certain degree Chris felt because he was in the army he was this big tough squaddy and I know he felt that to struggle with a mental health illness made him weak yes and that that's what we need to stop it's that whole perception that if someone is struggling mentally that that they're weak and they're not it it takes a very very strong person to put the hand up and say I need help yeah I need someone to talk to And what we need to start doing is when someone does reach out, it's so important that you listen and you listen to hear, you don't listen to answer. Exactly, yeah. And just having somebody to talk to can help so much. And I mean, you talked about him being in the army and I will come on um, just to introduce Chris and, and what he was in the army and stuff. But you say he was in the army and, you know, he wanted to be you know, the tough guy maybe, um, but it doesn't matter what sex you are, what religion you are, you know, does it, we, we all go through mental health. It is so important that we open up and speak up. It, yeah, it really is. I mean, mental health doesn't discriminate. It, it doesn't care who you are, whether you're poor, you're rich. Um, and obviously that's all coming out today with certain interviews that are going on. Yeah, It, it can affect anyone. And it's there. There is no shame. It, it's an it's an illness. Yeah. If somebody breaks a leg, then you don't back away from them. So why is that any different with a mental illness? Exactly. I think more. It's more of education, really. You know, people. As soon as people start to open up about the way they're feeling, people tend to back off, don't they? Because people think they have to give everybody the answers. And sometimes all somebody wants with mental health is just a pair of ears to listen to, don't they? 
a strong pair of shoulders to lean on and I think that makes all the difference yeah. it's it's very British though isn't it that we don't talk about our feelings I know and I think that's okay so uh Mandy you met Chris in Iraq while she was serving in the RAF which you did for 12 years you married yeah. Chris in 2006 and then you had your son Jamie who arrived back in 2008 you unfortunately lost your husband Chris in 2016 after he served 21 years in the army due to PTSD and you say that during his 21 years within the army he was deployed to every conflict during that time and sometimes more than once now for yourself um what was this like as a wife to see your husband go through this how did it affect him yourself and your family um well when we first got together um he already he already had some problems um he'd been out to bosnia kosovo northern ireland which as we all know now are quite sometimes the forgotten wars but they were absolutely horrendous yeah. but during that time he used to speak to me he used to open up right. um and that that's how we got through that it was mainly his last tour of afghanistan he did two tours out there but when he returned from there in 2012 um the man that got off that coach was not the man that i kissed goodbye seven months previous right. um he, the main telltale sign of chris was his eyes he would smile but his eyes were still dead. Yeah. And it's whatever had gone on, whatever he'd seen had truly affected him out there. Yeah. Um, it was around that time as well that he he started to pull away from me as such, like he was trying to protect me. Yeah. Um, so when he came home, it was it was horrendous. Jay, Jay was just turning four, actually, when he got home. Um, and as a four-year-old, he learned to walk on eggshells around daddy. Yeah. It was, it, whatever we could do to make an easy life, we didn't, there was no noise. Um, we, we did everything Chris suggested. And it was, it was horrendous because the slightest thing could make him blow up at you. Yeah. But, and it, I mean, it just got worse and worse as time went on it was becoming more and more unbearable um and we actually separated in 2015 because he wasn't just mentally abusing me he was physically abusing me right. and it was something that i wasn't willing to have jamie grow up around yeah um but when i left chris i didn't leave him because i wanted to i didn't leave him because i didn't love him um and i certainly didn't abandon him we kept in touch as much as he would allow because I mean it's part of PTSD he was trying to pull himself away from both of us um but for a long time I mean from 2012 onwards he wasn't the man that I married yeah um every now and then he would open the door a little bit and you would see the old Chris sort of coming back through yeah so I, I knew he was there and I knew it was because he was ill that he was acting the way he did yeah but i i begged him absolutely begged him to get help um and he kept denying there was anything wrong yeah. he just thought it was normal and it wasn't until the february 2016 
we had a really long chat and he promised me he would get help. Now at that moment, I, I felt like a huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I thought, you know, we're gonna get Chris back. Yeah. It, was, it was too late for us as a couple, but I was gonna get my best friend back. Yeah. And um, as it turns out, I mean, this is very important. A sign of the one thing that you don't do. Somebody told him that if he admitted he was struggling, he would look weak. And for that exact comment, he then never got help. He never reached out again. Um, and that was in the August. And I'd say I never heard from him again after the August. That was the last time I ever spoke to him when he told me that. Um, and then in the November, he took his own life. So I would, it was a downward spiral from there on in. Yeah, yeah. So it, it seems when he, like you said, when you, when you kissed him goodbye, something drastic has happened, hasn't it, during that time for him to change and not open up that much. Um, so, yeah. What were your early memories of Chris and how did his behaviour change to PTSD? How did it change when it got worse? What are the signs and signals that people out there listening should really be looking for? Um, his moves was a big thing. Yeah. Um, when I met and fell in love with Chris, he was cheeky, he was funny, he had the gift of the gab. Yeah. He was an absolute so social hand grenade. You couldn't take him anywhere posh because he just had no filter whatsoever, which I'm sure some of the people listening will relate to. <laughs> um, but that that side of him slowly went and it was he was so angry really? sort of majority of the time. But as well as addictions, um, he would he would think nothing of drinking a slab of 24 cans of lager in mm. one night. Yeah. That that was nothing to him. Um, he smoked more. He was gambling with the fruit machines. He's the only person I know that's ever stood at a fruit machine and put three hundred pounds in it and walked away with nothing. Wow. But and it's things like that they do it, especially the gambling. I think because you can escape reality. You go into your own little world, yeah. and you don't have to deal with what's going on inside your head. Yeah. Um, yeah, do you, so do you think these, so he's drinking, he's smoking, he's gambling was a coping mechanism for, for Chris? Definitely. Yeah. And you, you hear of it, I mean, I speak to quite a lot of people that are dealing with things like that. And a lot of them turn to something, whether it's drinks, drugs, and it's, it does seem to be that go-to. Yeah. And it's, like we say, it's escaping reality, isn't it? Of course it is, yeah. And I mean, the, the things with stuff like that, it, it feels brilliant at the time, but then it's a vicious circle of when you you stop drinking or you stop gambling, then you're back at square one and nothing has really changed, has it? Um, yeah. I mean, that's we always talk, obviously, being a PE teacher, the importance of exercise and how good that is for your mental health. And these studies, as I've stated before on the, on the podcast, how studies have shown that, exercise have just as good um, effects as antidepressants do, you know, over a long period of time. But sometimes the easier option is to go to the fridge and get a, get a drink, get a glass of wine, or it's, it's easy done, you know, to go and get a beer or 
you know, go and have a little gamble to take your minds off things. So, yeah, I mean, we always we always try and encourage everybody that uh, we talk to about how the, the importance of physical activity can be. Um, Definitely. And it's everything in moderation, isn't it? Because you can, obviously, you can take exercise to the extreme absolutely. and then people start suffering. I mean, yeah. I've, I've just been off work for 12 weeks with COVID right. and, like, for six, seven weeks physically i couldn't get off the sofa i couldn't do anything yeah and i normally like to keep quite fit and healthy yeah. and that was huge for me having that exercise taken away from me yeah and you know I'm, I'm in a similar position myself right now just you know i was speaking um to the pe team today about normally i'm so positive i'm so focused i'm i'm really happy but because i've not got that that physical activity i'm not able to go to the gym my mental health is really you know, suffered from that. I've, you know, I have days where I wake up and I'm not feeling well or feeling a bit down, and I'm, and then I wake up and think, why is that? But it's because you're not in your routine, isn't it? You're not, you're not getting your physical activity and your exercise that you're used to. Yeah, definitely. Okay, that's so, the big thing I do with Jay as well. I like him to play sports. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Jay will see the importance of that. Um, so obviously it must have been so hard for you when you got the news about Chris and about him uh, taking his own life. How hard was it for yourself to lose your husband to poor mental health? And how have you got through that? Um, it, it was horrendous because even though we'd separated, I was still desperately in love with Chris. He was still the man I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with. You know, we'd been separated for a little bit and I'd, I'd already sort of grieved for our marriage but was still hoping I was going to get Chris back, the old Chris um, so then actually his stepbrother phoned me with the news and it's an old cliche but the whole world just came crashing down around us yeah. and it's I just remember I was stood outside because me and Graham used to text, we never used to phone so for him to say, I need to phone you, I knew something was wrong. Yeah. So I was, I went outside away from Jay. And I remember, I'll always remember it was raining, but I had tears just falling. Um, I did nothing to stop them. And the only, the only thing I could say to Graham was, why has he done it? And I just, I didn't get it. I didn't get how life had seemed so bad to him. Yeah. or that there was no other answer I mean our, our eight-year-old was sat inside our flat and I knew I was going to have to go in and tell him that daddy was gone yeah and as a parent you know we, we do every single thing we can do to protect our children that is our main aim in life isn't it you never want your children to go through anything horrendous absolutely and yet I had to go in and I had to break his heart knowing that I could do nothing about that. I couldn't fix it. Yeah. And for a long time, all he wanted was daddy. And it was, it's the one thing that I can never give him again. Yeah. But I mean, I can't, I can't actually get over in words just how wonderful Jay is. Yeah. Um, about a year after we lost Chris, um, he, he dealt with it so well, you know, he's, he probably dealt with it better than a lot of adults would deal with it. Yeah. He didn't necessarily understand it, 
but we got an awful lot of help from the military charity uh, SAFA. Yeah. And now we've turned our grief into a way of helping them. So Jay had been watching the Pride of Britain and saw a young lad had raised some money. So he said he wanted to raise some money for SAFA, which was great, you know. So he he wanted to do a little fun day, just a tiny little fun day. Um, as it turns out, the whole of Suffolk came together for that fun day, and he raised just over seven thousand pounds. Wow, which was amazing. And from then on, that's how he coped with his grief. Is he fundraises to stop other people going through what he is? Yeah. Um, and I I got through the first few months very much by focusing just on Jay. I put myself onto a back burner and it was all about getting him for it. Now, the way I help myself is to help others. Yeah. And it's, it's the only way I can deal with it because if, if I know that Chris's death hasn't been in vain because we've used this to save someone else's life, yeah. then that means it's all been not worth it. It's never worth losing your loved one. No. But... To me, then it's happened for a reason. Yeah. And he, even though he's gone, he's helping other people. And yeah. that's so important to me. Yeah. And, um, and obviously, Jay and yourself do so much, and, and you will be helping so many families um, and hopefully people that are feeling that way as well to just open up and seek that help. And, you know, what, you, what you're doing and what you've done is amazing. And, and thank you for you and Jay for doing that. Um, you mentioned about, when you, when you found the news, you was crying and you couldn't stop. And when I asked you about, I emailed you a list of questions, you spoke about how important it was to not hide that crying away from Jay and, and that it's really important that he sees this emotion from you when you are sad and upset. Yeah. Why, why do you think, why is that so important? Um, because I never regret anything. And I think we do things for a reason. But when Chris first died, I wouldn't cry in front of Jay. I didn't want him to see me upset because I thought that would upset him. Yeah. Now, about three months into our journey, he stopped crying. Now, I knew he was still upset. And I trying to get to the bottom of why he wasn't crying. And it was because I, I wasn't crying. Right. So then he was trying to hold back so that he didn't upset me. Um, since then, I I cry in front of him, whether it's over his dad, whether it's whatever, you know, I, I will show my emotions towards him. Yeah. And now, ever since then, he now finds it so easy to show his emotions in front of me. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's so important that teaching him as a child that there's nothing to be ashamed of, then hopefully he will then take that forward with him. Yeah. And that, that's how we learn, isn't it? We learn by example. And yeah, I mean, I, I regret maybe not crying in front of him at the start, but we do what we do to protect others, don't we? Yeah, we do. And you, you realised, didn't you, when, when Jay stopped crying, why that may have been? And, you know, you, you tried to cover that up. But it's really important that people learn and they understand that being upset and sad is an emotion 
just like being happy and laughing. And it's only normal, isn't it, for our for ourselves to to cry when we're upset or to laugh when we're happy. That is an emotion that our body has to release at that moment in time. Yeah. And it, the damage it can do by holding those emotions in. We think nothing of laughing and smiling, do we? Exactly. And I mean, that, but, could, that could stop Jay from opening up in the future if he thought it was only normal to, to keep them feelings inside, you know, couldn't it? In the, yeah. In the future. But it is such a big thing. And I know, I mean, he, he turns 13 at the end of this month, which is such an emotional time for kids anyway. Yeah. But I feel a lot more at ease knowing that he knows if he's feeling stroppy, if he's feeling upset, then that's fine. He can have those emotions. I'm not going to pull him up for them. No, not at all. And, but we, we all do it. I mean, I still hold, hold in my emotions now. And yeah. We're all guilty of it. Yeah. Uh, just for the listeners that are listening, talking about Jay, we, I'm going to um, just put the audio of the YouTube clip, Mandy, that you sent out. That's on YouTube. Just think it's so powerful and such a strong message, you know, especially when you hear Jay talking about his dad and seeing other families in public um, being happy and it really upsets him. So I'd, it's just such a powerful message. And if you, that's okay with you, I'd like to put that on the end of the podcast or just at the start. Yeah, uh, no, that's fine. I think, I think it's an important message to get out there. Definitely. And I think it would be really nice for the listeners to hear Jay talk, you know, as we talk. So, uh, so much about him and the, the amazing work that he has done. Um, so just moving on, Mandy, if obviously how long has it been now since Chris took his own life? Uh, four and a half years. So four and a half years later, you now knowing what you know and we've talked about the emotions and stuff. If you could tell Chris one thing four and a half years later, what would that be? I would tell him how loved he was or is. Yeah. Because I, I think that's the most important thing when your mind, and that's what it is, your brain is playing tricks on you. Yeah. And you think that nobody cares, nobody would miss you. And the one thing I've noticed that I'd never really thought about before we lost Chris was the ripple effect of suicide. You know, it's not just me and Jay that have been affected, it's Chris's family. It's my family because they've seen obviously us going through this. Yeah. It's my friends, it's Chris's friends, and it's huge. Yeah. For every one suicide, you, you're looking at hundreds of people that are affected by that death. Absolutely. And for someone like Chris, that I imagine thought that he wasn't loved or that nobody would miss him, you know, we still speak about him every single day. Yeah. And a part of me will always love him. Of course. And it's, if I, if I could have five minutes with him after he got a slap, it would be to tell him how loved he is. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, like you say, he, he didn't realise probably how loved and how much people actually care about him. And, you know, you're talking about him four and a half years on helping others and you'll still be talking about him in another 34 and a half years, you, it, I'm sure it will never, ever stop. Um, so, yeah. As long as someone remembers them, they're never truly gone, are they? Exactly, yeah. It's... So you, you have a son uh, who's called Jamie, you, uh, uh, Jay, who is 12 to 13 years old. 
he lost his dad when he was eight years old. I was, my, my question is, how has he found it? Obviously, growing up without a father by his side. And what would his message be to anybody that is struggling at this moment in time, whether it's an adult or a young person? His advice would definitely be to reach out and, yeah. and to speak to someone, whether it's a friend, whoever, but just to reach out to someone and for that person to listen, yeah, which is the most important thing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, growing up without that, I, it's such a difficult thing, isn't it? Because I can't even begin to imagine how he's felt. Yeah. And there's been so many like normal everyday things, like when he was playing football, if he got man of the match, then it should be dad that's there cheering him on. Yeah. Um, you know, and he's achieved so much. I mean, he, he worked so hard at school. Um, for example, today he got a head teacher's award for a good first uh, year eight report. Amazing. And it, it's things like that that you want to be able to celebrate with Chris. Yeah. Um, but and like he says in his video, you know, when we go on holiday, we tend if we go abroad, we tend to go with my mum and dad because I'm still not brave enough to go abroad with just me and him. Yeah. And so we go as that family unit. But Jay will always deviate towards the kids that are playing with their dad. Right. And he always manages to get in with those kids and the dad will then play with him. And that, that's what he's looking for. He's looking, I mean, him and my dad, are just, they're like the terrible twosome. And the bond they've got is, I mean, I couldn't ask for a better role model for yeah. Jay than my dad. Yeah. But he misses that relationship with his dad. You know, his dad was his hero. Yeah, he misses that social interaction, doesn't he, with that, that male? And that, do you think that's why he tends to hinder that way when you go on holiday to oh, definitely. And yeah yeah it must be a... and it's and even like my husbands of my friends then he'll deviate towards the husband yeah more so than sort of my friend which is fine and and he loves it and you know I've, I've got some amazing friends that give him that attention that he craves as such yeah and it's and they, they wrestle with him. They do all sorts because I'm not wrestling with him. He's he's nearly as big as me. It's <laughs> yeah, losing battle. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I mean that that's what he misses. He misses having his hero here. I bet. Yes. Yeah. And does that um does that relate to school as well in terms of his teachers? Does he have a would you say he has a better relationship with the males than the females, or is he just brilliant in in everyone? Um. He seems to have them all wrapped around his little finger. <laughs> uh, yeah. he's, he's very good at that. But actually, his favourite teacher would be the male PE teacher. Yeah, he's got a good relationship. It's just, yeah, it's just that role, isn't it, as a PE teacher, I think. From my memories of school, PE teachers were always more approachable out of all of the teachers. Yeah, and I'd like to think, you know, as a, as a male PE teacher myself, we are the ones that we can try and relate to some of the pupils and, and we can speak to them in, in not really, you know, a, a threatening environment, you know, of a classroom. We can, I think it's a lot easier to talk 
when you're outside, you're playing sport, you're socialising with other people. So as a PE teacher, you're in such, um, such an important role, not only, you know, to teach the pupils, but also to encourage them to, to speak up and ask them if they're okay and if anything's bothering, bothering them, you know. So, yeah, I would like to think as a PE teacher that, you know, is a very important part of our role. I think so. It's, and you can nurture as well because you're they they can see improvement I think in PE like Jay likes going in the fitness suite yeah and the PE teacher always helps him in there and he can see like his strength building up building up or getting better on the rowing machine yeah and I think that's so important as a youngster isn't it to actually see yourself improving at something absolutely yeah whereas you don't necessarily get that in other subjects yeah you're right uh, so you now you now work, Mandy, as a, a rehab assistant on the stroke ward in your local hospital. You say this mm. is how you cope by helping others. I am sure this is a real passion now to be able to help other people and try and make sure that others do not experience something similar to what you have experienced within your lifetime. Yeah, I mean, working. I love working with stroke patients. Yeah. It's, Every stroke is different. Every patient is different. But mental health is actually quite a big part of that as well. Yeah. Because when the, the body is trying to mend and such like, the last thing it worries about is mental health. Mm -hmm. So a, a lot of stroke patients actually suffer with depression. Right. And it's, I mean, it, it's a huge life-saving thing, a uh, life-changing thing, isn't it? you don't even know that you're going to have a stroke it's not like a heart attack you don't feel the the warning signs and literally within seconds your whole life can change you can lose obviously the use of your arm your leg um so they people do suffer and it's as well because it's stroke doesn't discriminate and you can be young you can be old male female so we we see a full range and actually just when you have patients that are in the depths of depression, they don't want to get out of bed, they don't want to do the OT, the physio, and to actually see them improve and to actually get on top of, start to sort of control their mental health a little bit is so rewarding. Yeah. It's, I don't think there's a job like it. Yeah. Um, you know, when people come onto the ward and they can't walk and then a couple of months later you actually watch them walk off the ward to go home yeah it's i mean there's lots of tears shed i bet it's it's but and that that's just from staff letting them the patient <laughs> it's and that that does help as well because when you're helping other people you're not thinking about yourself yeah. and but i am learning actually to take time for me it's to come home and just watch something on TV and properly watch it, actually sit still for half an hour yeah. and watch something. Yeah. But that's important as well. And through helping others, I've probably ignored myself quite a lot over the last four years. Yeah. And it was only actually doing a pod, another podcast a few weeks ago. And he said to me, you know, what do you do to relax? And so actually, I can't remember the last time I switched off completely. Yeah. And that, that's another thing to get over to your listeners. You know, you have, you can't help others if you don't look after yourself. Yeah. 
that's a really yeah a really really um, important message, isn't it? Because I mean, when you on your ward and you're helping others, you are giving somebody else a purpose, aren't you? You know, you talk about they not being able to come in, not being able to walk, and then you see him walk out. It must be absolutely su- such a good feeling for yourself. Um, but yeah, like you say, I think it's so important that we are taking time for ourselves, whether we've done numerous things like this in school, but you know, your, your physical activity, your walking, trying out a new hobby, reading a book, listening to music, whatever it is, taking time and looking after your well-being is so important because nobody else is going to do it for you, are they? You've got to really concentrate and look after the way you feel and and I always say to the pupils at our school the hardest bit is probably starting you know because I'm hopefully I say hopefully going to go for a run once I finish this podcast but I know <laughs> if I sit on the sofa and I put tv on and I start making tea then yeah, that'll be it for the night that'll be it and I find it really difficult so I say the, the hardest part is actually just getting started. And once you're out, once you get your earphones in and your running trainers on, then, you know, it's, um, yeah, feels so much better for it. And then you're able to go and help other people um, even better because you're in a better, a better mental place. So now I um... And I think as well, this, this pandemic is a huge example of that. You know, this, this time where we've been in lockdown and everything yeah. is a time to refresh our priorities and and what's important Absolutely. And, and i think especially what we've learned during this time is how important family is family uh, and friends yeah you're That's, completely right. but we need to carry that on when we come out of lockdown yeah you're right because it'll be it, it's too easy to just go back to how we normally was weren't it i mean just mm. going out spending time with family sitting in your garden going for a walk is you never get that moment back and I think it's really, really important to do it now whilst we can. Um, and I think, like like you say, I think a lot of people have realised that. Um, I mean, I've tried to stay off social media as much as possible because sometimes I'll be on my phone for an hour and think, what have I actually done there? I've done nothing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, another really important message to look after ourselves. Now, um, I imagine you and Jay to be more strong now than you ever ever have been um for you and Jamie what does the future hold for you both oh god it's a question and a half isn't it (laughs) um I I would like to change what I do for work I would like to work with veterans that are suffering with their mental health right um, and to maybe try and have an impact on what's happening. Yeah. Um, I do do little bits in the background of the NHS. There's a a group that I'm part of where we're, we're starting to make changes, which is good. Yeah. Um, but do you know what? If I was to do a plan for the next few years, you know, I'm, I'm going to make the most of having Jay at home with me because um, he's now getting to that age where he will not want to associate with me and that's fine <laughs> um and what what we've made a point of doing the last four years is making memories yeah um i'm a nightmare with my phone i take photos of absolutely anything we can go for a walk and i'll come home with 100 photos but i did i want him to be able to go into adulthood knowing that 
although he had to go through one of the worst possible things that any child can go through, I still want him to be able to turn around and say, but do you know what? I had a good childhood yeah. and I've got all these memories and I've got all these special times where that he can remember. Yeah. That That's what I want to spend the next few years doing, making yeah. sure that he becomes an adult that is well balanced, happy, and I mean that's all we can ask, isn't it, for our kids? Yeah, and I mean what what I've heard you talk about, Jay, and the video that you uh, you've done for YouTube, and I'm sure Jay will turn out to be an absolutely amazing young man, uh, boyfriend, husband, father himself one day, you know. So that's all a credit to you, I would say, Mandy. So. Um, well done there. Uh, and in terms of the PTSD rates, I mean, I look at obviously the suicide rates and, and they seem to be crease, increasing every single year. Is this something you think that is increasing? It's getting worse. It's becoming a little bit better or in terms of, you know, your post-traumatic stress disorder? Um, I mean, I, I can only really talk forces wise. Yeah. Um I think the stigma within the forces mental health wise is a thousand times better than it was 10 years ago. Um, they are a lot more open to actually helping people. Uh, it's still not where it needs to be. Yeah. It, you know, we're in the 21st century. It still needs to be a lot better than what it is, but all progress is good progress. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, suicide rates with been veterans and serving personnel seem to be getting worse yeah um and to a certain degree like we said at the start i think it's to do with education and they're now bringing in when you from the moment you join the forces and all the way through as part of your mandatory training each year there will be a mental health aspect yeah. and it's all going to be about recognizing the signs not just in yourself but in others and I think once that's brought in so that people are doing it all year round, it's going to make it a lot easier for people to reach out. Yeah. So, and, but you're not going to see the effects of that until a couple of years down the line. Yeah, you're exactly right. Sometimes I think something drastic has to happen in order for that change to take place, doesn't it? And it's, it's taken so many people to take their own lives for them to actually bring in that process about mental health um, and I think the same with education everywhere um, it's it's not good enough really and people are still learning today no. about mental health about anxiety depression stress and how it actually makes us feel and what we can do to cope with it or where we can go to gain that help so I think like you say any progress is good progress but we are going in the right direction which is you know a positive really um yeah well I mean you you doing something like this podcast I think it's absolutely amazing yeah because it's it's teaching the next generation isn't it that there's nothing to be ashamed of and it happens to us all yes and well I'd, I'd like to think and and mainly the obviously the reason with it being such an important topic is I wanted them to hear a voice of somebody that has actually experienced it and what it was like for a wife, but also a son to go through that and what can happen 
to those people that don't open up and don't talk and they are scared about that stigma and they're worried about what people would think um, because by just opening up, it could save a life, couldn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly think, and as I say this quite a lot on my social media, if someone reaches out and asks for help, I'm a firm believer that makes them one of the bravest people in the world. Absolutely. And there is, I mean, when, when we're talking about the effects of Chris's death, I mean, we're four and a half years down the line and Jay still has nightmares. You know, he still gets upset that dad, dad's not here. And it's, that's not going to stop. We're not going to get kind of eight years down the line and all of a sudden it's going to stop affecting us. Yeah. Because it, it's something, our lives have changed forever yeah. because we've lost Chris. But it, it doesn't mean that our lives have stopped. We've, we've carried on moving forward, but we take Chris with us. Yeah. You know, whatever we do, he still lives in my heart. He lives in Jay's heart. Yeah. But he, I mean, he would be the first to come down here and throttle me if he thought my life had stopped yeah. because he'd died. And he always said it to me before he went on tour. You know, if, if the worst happens, then yes, have a few weeks of grieving for me. He said, but then I expect you to be back up doing what you do. Yeah. I mean, we, we're lucky in some ways that I knew... We'd, we'd discussed losing him previous, which is horrendous, but just something you do when, you, when you're in the forces. Yeah. It's, I knew exactly how he wanted his funeral. And it's, but, you know, my, my message to anyone that is struggling, there's always someone out there that cares. There's always someone out there that loves you and nothing. And I, I could say this 24 seven, nothing is ever ever worth taking your own life over nothing no. so that mandy leads me just to my last question and thank you so much again for talking and taking the time out to to do this episode because it's been absolutely amazing and it was literally what you've just said there really what advice could you give to someone right now if they were struggling with poor mental health whether it was a young person or an adult listening and if they was, where could they go for that help? So many places. I mean, for young younger people, I say you've got teachers. There's always a teacher that you trust. Yeah. Always. Um, you've got GPs who are becoming better at then signposting you to somewhere else. Even if you if you go to a friend, then you're unburdening to someone and two heads are better than one. Yeah. So you can then discuss what to do. Um, a relative, you know, it, same as Jay, sometimes he won't want to talk to me about things, but he will talk to my mum. Yeah. So, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a parent, but a relative or even a friend's parent. I, I know of kids that have gone to friend's parents and that's sometimes a way of doing it. But I mean, even if you don't want to speak to someone that you know that well, you, you've got Samaritans. Yeah. They're obviously open 24-7. And so many links on the internet now for sort of well-being and, and people that can help. Yeah. But 
all, all I can say is that who it doesn't matter who you reach out to as long as you reach out to someone. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Um, and, you know, we have amazing program in our school called Place to Be that I always mention and just say to anybody that, you know, from Phillips High School that is struggling or just needed to speak to somebody. It doesn't matter what the issue is, if it is bothering you, open up and just have somebody to speak to and get that help that, that you want to. Um, Mandy, it has been absolutely fantastic to have you on the show. Um, obviously, something drastic happened within your life that has caused you to be here, but everything that you are doing and your son Jay is changing so many people's lives and you're doing, you're making the best out of something that was horrendous. Um, and I thank you for that. And I'm sure so many other people and families have. Um, so thank you. Um, you've been amazing. Thanks a lot, Mandy. No, thank you for having us. No problem. Take care of yourself. Bye. Right.